Hello, and welcome back to the Sakis podcast, Making Adjustments, where we take a thoughtful dive into an element of culture or a current event that could benefit from a few healthy adjustments. If you're new here, Sakis is the sexual assault counseling and information service, and we serve survivors of sexual violence as well as their significant others in the Eastern Illinois area. It's our mission to end sexual violence in society. And we recognize that intersections of identities and different backgrounds and experiences all contribute to a culture of violence and oppression. So today we're here to talk about a highly requested topic from parents and community members, you know, when it comes to our programming, um, and that is safety on social media, specifically for teens and younger people, and then the risks and dangers associated with it. We're going to cover a lot of topics in this episode, including grooming and faith's law, and also what you can do as maybe a parent or teacher or caregiver to keep your children safe online. But let's start with something that's a huge underlying issue of children being abused virtually, which is the way that social media sexualizes young and specifically underage girls. And you know, while we're starting here, I do want to note that any social media platform can sexualize anyone or anything. Young boys are absolutely being manipulated and exploited on social media as well in the same ways and in different ways as girls. And just like with any form of violence and oppression, race, education, class, ability, gender identity, sexual orientation, even more factors all absolutely play a part and do affect how children are targeted and abused. But with that being said, There was a study done found that teen girls, specifically ages 12 to 17, to a certain extent can't resist being affected by the sexualization they witness on social media because of several factors. Um, They have, you know, the biological need to comply with social norms and be accepted and have an identity that matches the culture that they live in and are a part of. And they just don't have a full awareness yet of how they're able to be influenced. They don't have the media literacy maybe to understand that quite yet. And I think that all of those reasons are also important um, to consider when we're thinking about the age of consent and how abusers are using that power and understanding imbalance to manipulate teens and children. But it's no secret that young girls and women are rewarded and applauded for posting sexualized photos and content. So, you know, why would they stop doing that? It's giving them that sense of acceptance that they crave biologically. I also want to make it really clear that this is a wider cultural issue. It's absolutely not the fault of teens or preteens. You know, we're not here to shame or blame anyone or to call out a 14-year-old for posting maybe a sexualized photo because, first of all, that reinforces a culture of victim blaming where the blame for maybe sexual violence or harassment is an individualistic issue and it's not. It's a societal and a cultural issue and regardless of whether a girl posts a photo in a tank top or a turtleneck, they still don't deserve to have acts of sexual violence committed against them. And here I do say uh, specifically girls just because We live in a patriarchal society and we rarely use the excuse like, oh, what was she wearing with men or boys when we're talking about victim blaming for assault. It's generally women and, you know, especially queer women, um, trans women or BIPOC women. But it is a bit different when we're talking about adult people doing that and posting those things and then children posting sexual or inappropriate photos. It's our responsibility as a society to educate children and teens on why that content can be unsafe or harmful to share at their age 
And one reason, other than being, you know, unwantedly sexualized, is that child pornography is illegal not only for adults, but also for children. A lot of youth don't realize that sending, receiving, or possessing um, nude photographs or videos, even of themselves, can be legally considered child pornography and lead to some legal consequences. So why is it like this? Why do we have this issue of sexualization on social media? Well, one big reason is that sex sells. Social media is a business to make money more than anything. And when you're a 13-year-old using Instagram because all your friends are doing it, you're not really thinking about that. Sexualized content on TikTok and Instagram gets a lot more interaction. And when you're selling a product or a service, more traffic to your page is what you want in order to make more money. And the ethics of social media influencers and advertisers don't really take children into account. If they do, it's probably going to be in a negative way, knowing that they can manipulate children because of that lack of understanding that they have. Also, children and teens learn largely by example, and a lot of like female influencers post sexy photos, and their intent is more body positivity and female empowerment, which is really great. Um, but the problem is that it's not just adult women who are seeing that content, right? It's young girls and teens also who are seeing that and then internally developing an idea of what they may have to look like or act like sexually instead of deciding that for themselves. And it can reinforce the idea that their body is their only worth to society and it needs to be pleasing to the air quotes male gaze, which is just completely untrue. A big problem in general, just like with all of rape culture or racism or homophobia, is that it's normalized so we don't question it. And if we don't question it or rarely question it as adults, how on earth can we expect children or teens to question it? So what we're teaching young people and young girls specifically in doing this is that their worth comes from their sex appeal or sexual behavior. But when young girls or young people believe that, they have to prioritize physical attractiveness or sexual worthiness. What often is getting left behind there or misconstrued is mental health and well-being. And if young people have poor mental health, they're going to be much more susceptible to manipulation or believing false promises of adults in their DMs or maybe falling for fake accounts. And then they have a higher likelihood of being abused or manipulated online. So while we're talking about that, let's move forward a little bit into grooming. This is a really broad term that you've probably heard of before, but it generally refers to the tactics of abusers um, that they use to sexually exploit children. And it can be online or it can be in person or even through a third party. Technology and social media obviously did not create grooming. This has literally been happening forever, unfortunately. But, you know, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic, which has forced everyone to shift most all of their communication and education and interactions online, there has been a huge increase in abusers using social media or things like online gaming and online chatting services to take advantage of children. So just within this year, police have been reporting an increase in adults posing as young girls online via a fake profile and then requesting nudes or maybe other inappropriate content from underage boys. And then once they have that content, they go on to extort that underage victim for money or information so that they don't share that content. And what that is referred to legally is sextortion, which maybe you've heard of in like a news article or something. Traffickers also target children online and traffic children online by sharing explicit videos and photos of them um, being sexually abused on webcasts or even common websites like Pornhub. And this happens from around the globe. Um, it's really hard to track. Today, we're not going to dive too deeply into that because really 
it could be its own series of episodes. Um, It's such a huge issue. But abusers use all kinds of tactics to become close to children and develop trust and establish that sense of a relationship before they introduce inappropriate concepts or content. And at that point, they make it seem normal to the child or teen, or even especially to a teen, they make it seem like it's an act of love and affection. You know, the child or teen has been tricked into actually believing they're in a real relationship with an abuser. It's also a misconception that grooming only happens over a period of a longer amount of time, like months or weeks of conditioning, because, you know, while that can and does happen often, sometimes it happens really, really quickly. Um, One university study actually found that abusers can introduce sexual topics into the conversation within three minutes of starting to chat with a child online. That's only 180 seconds before that child is victimized. And that same study also found that offenders can form an emotional bond with a child within eight minutes. It's important to remember too that while grooming could happen on any online platform, not all social media was created equal. And there are some that are maybe what we would categorize as more dangerous than others. Um, Omegle is a really dangerous website because it doesn't have any moderation or any registration requirement or any age verification. So then you have a huge risk for abusers sharing inappropriate content that children will absolutely be seeing if they're on that site for more than five minutes and probably less than that. With that being said, let's kind of talk a little bit about age limits and age restrictions for social media because they do exist. Um, Should you let your child be on social media if legally they're not supposed to? So in the United States, it's the law that an individual has to be 13 years or older to use any social media platform. Of course, you know, there are sites that are specifically children's social media sites, like maybe YouTube Kids, um, and those still require parental consent to be on technically. But children easily lie about their birthdays and sign up for a Facebook account before the age of 13 because they want to be on it like their friends are. Um, And even still with that general age requirement, children and teens are subject to grooming. The National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children found that the age range of youth who are most often exploited is actually between the ages of 12 and 15, and then the next largest group being 5 to 11-year-olds. Really, this isn't surprising, but they also found that over 70% of grooming begins on Facebook or Instagram, and that makes a lot of sense because those are really, really popular sites, especially for young people. So grooming is a really hot topic right now in news media and education in the state of Illinois, and that's mostly because of something called Faith's Law. So this law was passed in the state of Illinois last December in 2021, and it went into effect at the beginning of this year. It expands the criminal definition of grooming to go just beyond um, the internet and electronic communications, and to also include written in-person communication or acts committed through a third party. So the really crazy part about all of this is that before this law, grooming that occurred in person was not technically illegal. It wasn't covered by the law, um, which is a huge loophole. So one purpose of this law was to close that gap. And it's great that this law also includes acts committed by a third party, because honestly, that's how abusers continue to recruit um, victims. It's easier for them. They don't have to do the work. They can get children or teens who are already under their control um, to do the work for them. Obviously, that's manipulation. Um, Those children aren't complicit in that act. Um, But we do see that a lot too, especially with teens. 
if you look at recent cases like the R. Kelly case, he groomed a teenage girl whom he had a connection with through a family member of hers. I think it was her aunt. And then after he held power over her, he used that girl he was already abusing to bring around another one of her underage friends from high school who ended up also being abused. And we saw the same thing with Ghislaine Maxwell recruiting teenage girls for Jeffrey Epstein and then, you know, pressuring those girls to bring their friends around with the lure of what we know were false promises about like career connections and job opportunities. So those would all be examples of third party instances. But the goal of this law ultimately is to keep students safe and to keep them from being sexually violated in any way by teachers, educators, administrators, coaches, and so on. Um, it was born actually out of a situation where a teacher in Illinois used their position of power over a student to groom them and then maintain an ongoing abusive and inappropriate relationship with them. So if this is such a huge issue, what is the solution? You know, what can you do as a parent or a caregiver to keep your child safe online? Well, the number one thing is to just have a continuous conversation going around media and the internet um, your children need to know that it's not out of the ordinary to talk about it, um, to normalize those conversations so that your children do feel comfortable and safe sharing with you what's going on in their virtual lives um, to keep them safe. Abusers target children whose parents or caregivers aren't paying attention or involved in their child's life. It is true, though, that, it, you know, totally controlling parental situations aren't healthy either, even though you may have the best intention in keeping your kids safe. It's also important to foster trust in healthy relationships and maybe instead of demanding your child doesn't um, get on social media or do certain things or look at certain things online without just any explanation as to why, you could make that a conversation. You could ask, what do you think is inappropriate content? Why do you think that would be inappropriate to post or to say or to send that information to someone? Could it potentially hurt you or someone else? Make it a conversation where they're going to be involved and have to use critical thinking skills also where they can ask you questions ahead of time so that they know what to do when those instances come up. Thinking about those things in advance are going to help your kids to use good decision making skills when it comes to viewing, sharing, and interacting with content online and on social media. So what are some good practices when it comes to allowing your children to use social media? I mean, it's always a good idea to set limits. Boundaries are a necessity in real life and in virtual life, and they may take some time to implement or need to be adjusted to get them right for you and your family. They also might differ a little bit from child to child. Um, if nothing else, setting some sort of social media time limit's really going to be helpful for children and teens um, because it's been proven time and time again by countless studies that social media is severely damaging to self-esteem and mental health. Another thing that's always good practice is to actually sit down with your child and teach them how to use social media if they're going to be using it. Show them things like how to turn off their location settings, how to report inappropriate content or block people, talk about situations that might constitute blocking someone. Let them know that you're a safe person to come to if they see something on the internet that makes them uncomfortable or if they aren't sure if it's safe or not. Like, I don't know, if someone's sending them messages that they don't know or asking them to do things that they know are unsafe. Even if it's just someone they don't know who's sending them messages that make them feel a bit weird. Kids need to have that person they can go to for safety without fear of getting in trouble. And that's what a trusted adult is. So SACUS has prevention programming for all ages. And one program we do for adults, such as like parents, caregivers, maybe educators or teachers, is our trusted adult training. 
And in that training, we cover the services that we can provide. We define sexual violence and some other terms. We talk about sexual development and normal behaviors for children, as well as like some abnormal behaviors that could be red flags of potential abuse. And then we also give extra parental resources. We also are able to do topic-specific tailored trainings on things like grooming and faith law or internet safety with children and teens. And, you know, we can go into a bit more depth in those trainings than we're able to on a podcast. We don't only offer trainings for adults. Um, We do have several options for evidence-based and age-appropriate curriculum for children and teens. One popular program that can be done on a short-term and individual basis is called Body Safety. And in this program, um, a child will learn what safe and unsafe touches are, as well as the basics of consent and the three R's of body safety, which are recognizing, refusing, and reporting unsafe touches to a trusted adult. So there will be a link to the full list of the prevention curriculum that we offer and utilize at SACUS in details on each in the show notes of this episode if you're interested in that. But I think the last thing that we'll say for today is that it's always best to lead by example. Don't do things on social media you wouldn't want your children to see or do. You know, don't be constantly consumed by your phone or your feed and then expect them not to be. Take the time to nourish um, relationships offline with your children as well as online. Maybe you have a game that you both like to play and you could play together on your devices. It's all about just fostering those good, healthy relationships. And that's going to look like making sure that your own physical and mental well-being is taken care of as an adult also. So for even more resources, you can check out our website, sacus.org. That's S-A-C-I-S dot O-R-G. And it'll be linked in the description below as well. If you have more questions about this topic or any of our services, all of our contact information is easily accessible on our website. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to having you here each time and we'll see you in October on the Making Adjustments podcast.